Today on Empowering Workplaces, we are talking about my favorite topic in the whole world, the future of work with the fabulous Al Adamson, author of The Future of Work Study and the creator of a new platform called My Future of Work. Welcome to Empowering Workplaces, a show for everyone who wants to make work better and more fulfilling. We are your hosts, culture designer Maddie Grant and organizational psychologist Sonia Lucina. Join us in today's awesome conversation. Hi, Maddie. Gosh, thanks for that introduction. And I'm happy you're excited about the topic. I am as well, obviously. So thank you. Oh, and Al, it's so wonderful to have you here. I am just above the moon that we now get to switch spots for a little bit and Maddie and I get to ask you and talk with you about all of these incredible things that you're working on. So I know that a lot of our listeners will probably either know you and be really good friends of yours or have at least heard of you. But for those who maybe are seeing you or hearing you for the first time, do you mind just spending a few minutes just telling us a little bit about your background, some of the, I know we we won't have time to talk about everything that you've done in your career, but maybe just some of the highlights. And then what inspired you today to really focus on this new research? So if you want to take it away and just share a little bit about your background and then again, like what, what you're looking to accomplish with this new piece of research, that would be amazing. Well, thanks, Sanya. And yeah, I too am honored to be here with you both and to talk about this topic, yes, but also to invite people to think potentially differently about how they are preparing for the future because we have what I'm calling, we're in this age of perpetual disruption and arguably Mm -hmm. we're never going to be out of this quote unquote age. Uh, The fact with AI being more uh, pervasive through not only the world, but how it impacts our work, uh, robotic automation, globalization, all these factors are, if they're not affecting us already, they will affect us. And I'm not talking about five, 10 years down the road. I'm talking potentially next month, if not next year. So it's something that has a level of seriousness. And I hear a lot of daunting language around it. uh, But I also see a world of potential that's exciting. So who am I and why did I get into this? Uh, Very briefly, I was a former management consultant with Ernst & Young that took me over to the former Soviet Union in 94. I was an entrepreneur over there, founded and ran a five-gallon water delivery business. And as an operator, as a business leader, I became very attentive to how work was impacting people's lives. And as I came back to the United States in 2000, I chose to make that my line of work. And that evolved into people, strategy, and in turn, what became people analytics. So for the past 20 years, I have been in this space, uh, formerly called human capital analytics. Some people still call it that. Uh, Adjacent naming conventions are workforce planning, talent intelligence, employee experience. But data is at the root of this understanding of where we are, where we can potentially go. So I've been fascinated with the data that we are generating as human beings, both 
uh, in our personal lives, but certainly in the workplace. And what are the ethics around that? What insights can team leaders and organizations get? But also, as important as anything, what insights can we as human beings get into how our own lives are being impacted by our work and how we can contribute, how we can learn, grow, and develop? So with that, it's brought me into today, and I realized that there is a gap uh, in organizations in preparing their workforces for the future of work. And I'm really, really curious on what great looks like in that regard, because we have these historical management models, which are highly siloed. And I thought during the pandemic, we'd be much more integrated. And some organizations are in terms of HR coming together with operations and facilities and finance and, and legal. But we still have in most organizations a long way to go where we have better governance, we have better insight, we have the better means in which to consume that insight and make wise decisions, not only on behalf of the organization, but on behalf of the individuals within it. And that relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion. That relates to internal mobility, relates to all these things that we're hearing in the world right now. And I want to better understand it. And I want to advise organizations. I want to advise groups. I want to advise teams. And as importantly, as I've said before, individuals, because that yeah. that is where the rubber meets the road. You know, I'm trying to yeah. positively impact people's lives. So that's a little bit about mm -hmm. me. Uh, and I can't, I can't wait to read your research because I think everything you're saying, we're living in such a complex time. And I was just having a conversation with somebody earlier today that was talking about some articles he was reading about mental health and athletes. And he was particularly mentioning tennis players. And I said, you know, I, I wonder if it's because mental health was not something that we talked about as much before, but now it's something that people can share more openly. And he was saying, you know, that could be it too. But I also wonder like visibility of information and social media and different kinds of pressures. And so I think there's so many potential things that are intertwined that makes all of this so complex. But I think the only way that we'll be able to guide it and help both individuals and organizations is through that research and in a way like iteratively try to understand it. And as the world around us changes, understand how all these things impact each other. Because I don't know, I don't think many of us know that. I don't think many of us know that as individuals, like what's a cause versus an effect? What did I maybe have inside of me? What's actually new that's impacting me today? So with all of that, I know you mentioned a few different concepts like diversity, equity, inclusion, different operational factors. And I also know that you're still doing the research for this study. So there might be some things that you come up, you know, based on data and your conversations and interviews and surveys that could look a little different. But from your perspective today, what do you see as key future dimensions of future work? Like what are some of the, the main pillars that you're thinking about? Well, Right off the bat, I'll just call out that we are in an a extreme battle between leaders who are taking action based on what they believe is right, based on their structure of interpretation, their experience, and what the data shows. <laughs> and 
I am really intrigued by Anand Jirihadras, who wrote the book, The Persuaders. And of course, Adam Grant, it was featured in Think Again, is that, you know, the idea historically, and I've been not only drinking the Kool-Aid, I've been making the Kool-Aid for a long time around evidence-based decision-making. And the thinking was, to your question, we have this research, we have this insight, and the whole world will consume it, and we will take the appropriate action. Unfortunately, that's not how things work. Uh, and so we still have leaders demanding come back to the workplace. And then it invites the question, for the sake of what? And what does that look like? And I love what uh, John Boudreau talks about, you know, how do we earn the commute? And, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, not, and not to you know, keep name dropping, but I want to highlight and celebrate many of the researchers in, in this area and, and what, who come to mind are Michael Arena, Rob Cross, Greg Pryor, and showing that if we do come back, you know, what is that social capital? What does that relationship value look like? And if we do come together, it has to be purposeful and creating, co-creating, designing. So the idea that we're just going to come back to the workplace five days a week, sit in the cube and hope we have a good conversation at the water cooler is not a reasonable expectation. So in terms of dimensions of the future of work, you know, what does the workplace experience look like? What's the value proposition in it for me as an individual? What's the value proposition for a team? What's the value proposition for an organization? The reality is that the answers are going to differ across industries, across geographies, across job families. So if we don't understand at those levels and we just make a blanket decision, that's irresponsible for all stakeholders. So going back to this uh, notion, and I say this all the time of governance, like in that example, I just touched on facilities. I just touched on HR. I just touched on operations. So there's a, and, and legal. So there's so many dimensions to consider. And many say, Al, that's, that's just too complex. I, I, I don't want to deal with it. I want the simple answer. And I'm like, there's a difference between simplicity and just laziness and irresponsibility. And so I personally want to embrace the complexity and yes, make it as clear and understandable as, as possible. But there are insights and ideas that will emerge that will serve as leading practices that hopefully will guide the future of how organizations are managed. So that's a very ambitious goal, but that's what I'm going after. Uh, I love that. And I think that that brings me to some of the data points that we collected for today. I'll go to the question and I think we'll, we'll tie it to your conversations around how organizations are preparing. What do they feel like is their responsibility? And again, the wanting to do something simple, but maybe in a world that's, you know, everything but at this point. So the first question that we asked, so this is to a panel of um, question pro survey participants around the United States in particular in this case. So the first question was, are you more excited or nervous about how the nature of work will change in the future? And what was fun for me to see is that actually over half of the people, so around 52%, said they're either extremely excited or somewhat excited. 
So there is, you know, we talk about AI, we talk about these disruptions, we talk about are they going to enhance our work and we'll get to do things that we love, are they going to take our jobs? And it sounds like about half the people really fully believe that something good is ahead of us. But then when we looked and on the other spectrum, there were almost a quarter, 22% of people that said that they're either somewhat nervous or extremely nervous. And so, of course, we gather just this high-level data. And so now my mind, and maybe Al, this is for future studies, is that, you know, could these questions very much vary depending on what organization somebody works for, how they're preparing them, or what kind of profession they're in. But we see that there is this mix, that there's this not this, like, very unanimous, I'm excited or very unanimous, I'm terrified of what's happening. When when you saw that data, what are some of the things that jumped out at you based on the conversations you've been having so far? Exactly what you cited is that in some job families, there is justifiably going to be great excitement and, and opportunity. In others, there's going to be a daunting reality that's going to come on very soon where the work that I'm doing currently is going to be automated. AI is going to do it, or it's going to be outsourced, or it, something drastic is going to change. And that, in turn, is going to make me think, well, can I make a living doing what I'm doing currently? And I believe, and this is my working hypothesis, that AI is going to disrupt work way more than people anticipate. And that means that individuals have to take a proactive approach. They have to take responsibility to prepare themselves for these imminent disruptions. And many people don't. They've, particularly if you've been in the workforce 10, 20, 30 years, your employer largely has helped you navigate where you're going within that organization. And in some cases, they've elevated your employability so you can actually get a job elsewhere. That isn't the case, certainly not like it was formerly. So now, personally, I'm like, I'm anxious for a lot of workers out there because I don't believe they know the extent of the disruption that's forthcoming. And I'm literally the last person to be the, you know, jump up and down, you know, sky is falling person. I'm very <laughs> pragmatic. I, I, I want it to make sense. At the same time, if there are alarm bells ringing, I'm going to go and find out why the alarm is ringing and do what it takes to cut it off. So, you know, we are in this place where things are being disrupted at a faster pace than historically has been the norm. And, for better, for worse, that's not going to stop. And that means we as individuals have to learn and adapt faster and organizations have to learn and adapt faster. So going back to the research that you highlighted, yes, celebrate the changes that are happening that are going to benefit you where you have line of sight to this job working, for, you know, employing you for the next two, three plus years. But the anxiety, as is highlighted in there, or the lack of enthusiasm, rather, is justified. You know, yeah, we'll see where it ends up. But that dimensionality that you called out, absolutely spot on. So I'll throw out one more data point. I will refrain myself from doing any interpretation and throw it to you and Maddie for your <laughs> insights right away. I can do it. I can do it. Um, I did love this question, though. So. Um, we also asked, again, workers across the United States in our question pro panel, who do you think has the ownership to prepare you to adapt to the changes in your work? 
without interpretation, <laughs> 36%. So over a third said, I have the complete ownership. And another 11% said, I have most of the ownership. So just under half the people are saying, this is on me. 22% of people said, mm, my employer and I have about equal ownership. And then there was about a third that said that really my employer has the ownership, either most of the ownership or all of the ownership. Maddie, do you want to jump in on that one? What a- well, I'm, <laughs> I'm you eager to hear, you know, what, what Al thinks about this. I have I have lots of thoughts, but all right. We'll I'll throw it to first. Al then first, and then Maddie can add color com- commentary. <laughs> well, the immediate insight that comes here is it makes me reflect on my recent conversation uh, with Dean Carter, who's the chief people and purpose officer at Guild Education. And in that organization, he created, uh, call it within HR, and I'm using that in in quotes, uh, people who are responsible for talent, mobility, and agility. And I believe those are the terms. And the essence is this, is that those individuals are partners with the people within the employees in understanding the future of work at that individual level and helping them get prepared for those imminent changes. So there is a curation, if you will, there's a collaboration in enabling that preparedness to occur. That is an exceptional instance. In most cases, (laughs) that individual that's helping you along the way does not exist. I know there's a significant effort to automate that through automated coaching services and skills-based learning platforms. Uh, Skills-based workforce planning is happening, which are all fine and good, but really to have a collaborative thinking partner to understand how changes are going to happen in a particular role within an organization and how you can in turn take learning programs, collaborate, potentially go external to take a course because, and this is what I love about this as much as anything, is that it's not all about ensuring that person stays with that particular organization. It is helping ensure that they are employable, whether it be within that organization or elsewhere. So celebrating the humanity and not having the scarcity mentality about, oh gosh, you know, if we invest in this person and they leave, you know, our investment went, you know, nowhere. It didn't benefit the company. I and many others, Dean Carter among them, strongly disagree. And there's that you're building brand, you're building an evangelist putting out in the world, which has this abundance mentality. And that is a truism it's at least it's a belief system and because and I, even beyond that it's beyond a belief system because there's data that supports that so i want to if i could wave a wand i would love for that to be the norm because at the end of the day it is a shared responsibility in my view between the employer and the individual to develop themselves wisely, meaning taking information that's out there, both internally and externally to an organization, consuming it and devising a strategy. If that is done, 
an individual's level of confidence heightens and they can be more focused in their work, having a heightened level of assurance that what they're doing is actually going to help them, whether it be within that organization or elsewhere. And the organization will benefit as well because they have somebody, again, who's going to be more focused, more productive, and frankly, have more commitment to the organization because they know that they're help they're being helped by that organization. So mm -hmm. certainly understand the data. I would love to see because uh, my employer and I have equal ownership it was 22%. Yeah, I would love to see that heightened, you know, as this work is, uh, is as this question is asked in the future. Yeah, I definitely echo all of that. And I think so I'm my work is around um, culture change, specifically, I'm a culture designer. So um, unfortunately, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of kind of deer in the headlights from organizations, right? So um, just empowering people to build their skills is not, it seems like a, a ground floor thing that every organization could start doing. But, you know, many are, are not even yet prepared. They're worried that employees will learn all these skills and just like you said, will leave. <laughs> right. Um, and I think a lot of individuals are very much taking it in their own hands to learn for themselves and potentially leaving <laughs> their organizations too, you know. So, but you're right, there's such a, a an important role that organizations could be playing here. Well, and and two quick comments on that. Number one, if an individual is taking ownership and maybe taking a class externally that does not is not visible to an organization is that class and knowledge going to and skill is that going to benefit you know the organization you know right. maybe 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 not maybe that's just totally different and that person now has the intent to use that skill in getting you know a, a new job and that's his or her prerogative and, mm -hmm. and it's not you know that big of a deal but i would contend that it would be great to have visibility have an open conversation so both the individual can prepare and the organization can prepare the other thing that i want to call out is as we use the term skills most think about technical skills to do a particular job. And I'm very focused on behavioral and human skills and develop, whether it be communication, being fully present, active listening, you know, things that are really, really important, but even more so than historically has been the case. Because if we talk about individual team and organizational agility, it's predicated on the willingness and capacity to learn. And in turn, take action on that learning. And that in and of itself is a skill that not only needs to be learned, but nurtured and continuously refined over one's life, let alone career. So you know, those distinctions between behavioral and human skills and technical skills needs to be made. And again, I would love to see organizations take a, if not the lead role, but a critical role in developing that, not only for the top leaders and emerging yeah. leaders in organization, but for yeah. every human being within a particular organization. Yeah, and that's, I love that you're saying that because one of the things recently, actually a question pro, we just rolled out some actions from our own internal survey. 
And we were really thoughtful about like really leaning into both giving our employees a budget for training that could be work related or it could be even a hobby, something they're really passionate about. Like in the years you know, before people have taken guitar lessons, they've hit, taken painting lessons, they've taken coding lessons and project management. So it was whatever you know they were interested in, but then also having organized and we did it a little bit by function and geography to make sure that we're also providing that training as well. So that we're not only asking the employees. So to your point, we're, we're trying to get that in that middle. Like we are both, both the organization and the individual feel like they have ownership of their future and how they approach that. And one other thing that I thought was extremely interesting from what you were saying about people staying in the organizations and those kinds of investments through doing. So of course, you know, <laughs> big part of my life is employee surveys. It's what I do pretty much every day. And one of the really interesting things. So a lot of our clients will ask, you know, how likely are you still to be working at question pro in two years? How likely are you to recommend question pro to somebody you respect? And we're actually seeing those become less related to exactly your point, but I thought you articulated it so well. And I'm, I'm going to try to think about how to smartly communicate that to everybody I talk with, because I think it's, it's so important and that depending on your organization, most companies are still very invested in, I want to keep somebody as long as I can. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but we're seeing the global shift change, right? And we're seeing that people are generally not lifers, that they have many different jobs. So how do you maybe consciously change that effort a little bit that even if somebody just wants to go work in a different industry, they want something completely different that your organization may just not be able to offer them. But how important is it that, hey, like I might not be here forever, but goodness, I would recommend everybody I know to come work here because the time I had here was so brilliant. And I think retention is such a big thing for organizations still, but for them to really be able to look at these different factors and how they relate to each other and how that's changed. I think I just had to highlight that because like I said, I, I think about it in my own work on daily basis. And I think you said, you said it so well, what organizations can do to really prepare people for the future, but not be so terrified about what if we lose them because there are many other positive effects that could happen from that as well. Absolutely. It's, it's the case. And I, I say this with the hope that things change. Uh, you know, this recent downturn economically saw a great many layoffs and great many layoffs happen at firms, at companies that historically had great brand reputations from an employment yeah. brand perspective. And they did horribly in yeah. terms of how they laid people off uh, in the communication, in the outplacement and, and all this. So the level of trust uh, and loyalty, which comes up a lot, is, is low in, in many industries and yeah. in many organizations because there's this heightened belief that, hey, when push comes to shove, the organization is going to look out for itself. You know, therefore, I have to look out for myself. And you know, that's going to be the reality as I see it. I, I don't see another time where that's going to be different. I just think it's the relationship between employer organization, even though research is showing that individuals are trusting their employers more than governments, more than most any other institution, 
that's not higher than how much they trust themselves and how much they trust their family and their, yeah. their community around them. So, you know, well, who's going to look out for themselves? So this echoes what has long been contended. And I thinking about uh, Jim Collins book, Good to Great. And I know that's 20 plus years old now, uh, but he does talk about forming a personal board of directors. Uh, there's a organization that I'm working with called Crew, which effectively does career coaching, and they talk about a similar concept. So for those listening, if you don't have a personal board of directors or a crew looking out for you, I would strongly encourage you to formalize that and not only have these ad hoc relationships, but have a diverse group uh, who can give you financial advice, who can give you career advice, who can help you think about these future disruptions and how you won't be victimized by them, but how you mm -hmm. can actually leverage many of these changes and create the future that you desire. And that takes a disciplined new approach in many cases. And thus my new platform, my future of work. And I'm not going to go into that right now, but that is meeting that demand, how to consciously craft, you know, one's career. And if that takes hold, both, conceptually and as a process and product, then hopefully good things will happen. Yeah. And I would love to talk a little bit more about my future work. And I think that, you know, as we start to wrap up, I feel like I have a million more things I want to ask you, but <laughs> some of the things that we, you know, you already talked about, we touched on, but maybe if there's a few more we wanted to highlight. So there's a lot of organizations can do when it comes to looking at future work. What are maybe some specific thoughtful approaches um, that you would recommend? Or how do you think some operating models can maybe be adjusted to really match the more current times or the changes ahead? Well, you both asked wonderful questions. And I'll just say this concisely, is that the management models of yesteryear have to be reinvented. And many have acknowledged that that has to be the case, yet day after day, week after week, most organizations are in these silos, in this hierarchy where information moves very slowly through that hierarchy, or it moves very fast without context. And so how do you create both context and speed? So what I'm interested in having organizations have management models that are at speed, at scale, and happen in a sustainable way. And at the end, they target specific actions. And if that can happen, that means that there's different governance models in place. In other words, facilities, operations, HR, operations, legal, all these historical silos are actually collaborating, not ad hoc, but in a very systematic, disciplined way. And when I say that, yeah, I can feel the body language or see the body language and, and kind of almost feel the tensions like, oh, we don't need another meeting. We don't need another. And I, that's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is a greater integration and understanding of how information is flowing, being proactive with what insight and ideas get elevated so it gets to the right people at the right time so decisions can be made and those decisions deployed throughout an organization, again, at speed, at scale, in a sustainable way. Most organizations admittedly 
are not good at that right now. And I'm really curious as to the barriers to getting better and as well as the enablers to getting better. And if we wave a wand and we're at the ideal future state in many of these organizations, what does that look like? So I am really prodding the discussion around, you know, if you are truly agile as an organization and preparing your workforce for the future of work and in turn your organization for the future of work, it's not only marketing strategy and all that, it's really consciously crafting this org to ebb and flow with changes both internally and externally, then you know, again, what does that look like? And you need to create the space to explore what that looks like. You need to have the courage and creativity and ultimately land with a clear picture and then go after it. Realizing, of course, that what you envision right now is going to be different when you actually put things in place. But if you don't know where you're going and you're just praying, pressing reset on what you've done historically, oh, I'm, we're going to have an offsite, you know, once a year. It, it's just not going to work. You're going to be at a competitive disadvantage as an organization, as a commercial organization, but you're also going to be at a competitive disadvantage in retaining and acquiring much needed talent to get where you want to go. So mm -hmm. it's really important that leaders shift their not only mindset, but shift their operating slash management models to adapt to the future of work. Oh, as you were going through everything, I was frantically writing down all the studies and names of authors so we can make sure that we highlight that in our episode and, and episode write up and everything. Now, Obviously, you've thought about this a lot. You've researched this a lot. I know for you know those who are listening to the podcast, they can't see the plethora of books that are behind you. So <laughs> you're very well informed. You've taken all that energy or a lot of that energy to put it into my future work. So for somebody who's interested in learning more, maybe doesn't know yet what my future work is, what kind of assets have you put together there to help individuals and organizations prepare for this kind of shift? I just want, I, I, again, I think I've known you for a really long time, Eddie and I both have, and I think your your knowledge and passion for the area is brilliant. So I definitely want for whoever's not checked it out as they're listening to us, like one of the first action items for them <laughs> is to go and, and go into, you know, check out these kinds of resources. So what are some things they could look forward to in there? Well, thank you for that tee up. And so my future of work is a passion project. It aligns with my purpose. And it came to me because I realized that many of the people that I have interviewed over the years that have been kind enough to speak at my conference, the people on LinkedIn Future of Work conference, uh, the audience is way beyond HR. It's for all human beings. And I also realized that there is a gap in the market for individuals and teams to learn about future impacts. Yes, you can watch YouTube videos and read articles, but have a collaborative experience to understand in this particular job family, how are we going to get disrupted and how can we plan for it better? So for individuals, there's a value proposition. For teams within organizations, there's a value proposition. And within the app, there is a marketplace for those who are supporting it and help, whether that be coaching platforms, people analytics, workforce planning platforms. So at the end of the day, if you go to myfow.com, 
app or, or uh, myfow.net, either URL will work, you'll be able to learn more and you'll see some of the extraordinary people that I've been honored to interview and work with over the years, Sanya being you know, one of them. Matt, we've got to get you involved here very soon <laughs> as well. Uh, but it's really, hey, I want to learn about where we're going, not just ad hoc, you know, based on these articles, not only alone in my own head, but I do want to connect with others who, again, are in similar industries, similar job families, so I can learn, I can co-create. So we have workshops, we have uh, on-demand experiences, and it's something that I want to make enjoyable uh, for people. So I will say this as I wrap up. Uh, I will shamelessly say this is based on uh, an app that I've used for a couple few years now called Insight Timer. So you go to insighttimer.com, you'll see the experience and it's effectively Insight Timer for the future of work. And you know, I hope people enjoy it. So check That's it out. So Let cool. me know. <laughs> Thank you, Al, so much. I think this time was just brilliant together. So for anybody that wants to also know about you, know more about the future of work study, what's the best way for them to, to get in touch? Uh, best way is LinkedIn, um, Al Adamson, A-D-A-M-S-E-N. I also um, have a website, aladamson.com. And uh, yeah, if reach out, happy to help share uh, resources. Uh, we are putting a lot of content. I'm putting a lot of content out in the public domain because uh, I want to give and give opportunities to those who might not have the resources. Thus, it is a uh, publicly available body of content and also the, you know, the app. While it's a uh, it is at a price that is a nominal price of $5.99 a month or $49.99 per year, just because I want people, young people, early career professionals, those in career transition to be able to afford it. So yeah, uh, those are the best ways and hopefully find my content and uh, what I'm putting out there valuable. Wonderful. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast with us today. This was uh, really great and can't wait to dig into all of your stuff some more. Well, thank you both for having me. It's a true honor and uh, it's fun to talk with you anytime. Uh, thanks, Al. We'll see you soon. Take All care. Right. Take care, everybody. In addition to being the Empowering Workplaces host, I'm also the president of Question Pro Workforce. And I wanted to tell you a bit more about it because it so brilliantly aligns with our concept of empowerment. At Question Pro Workforce, we help organizations across the world better connect with their employees. We do this through continuous listening survey technology, as well as sharing our deep knowledge and expertise to help our clients know what questions to ask to most deeply connect with their workforce and take impactful action on data and insights they collect. Learn how Question Pro Workforce can be a great partner on your path to creating a really outstanding employee listening strategy and a remarkable organizational culture at questionpro.com backslash workforce.